Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. And if you have your Bibles, turn uh, with us to Luke chapter number one, where we were this morning. And as we we mentioned, looked at uh, Zacharias and Elizabeth, I told you this morning, we're going to look uh, at, uh, at their baby. The baby that we saw this morning that was uh, prophesied and foretold by the angel of the Lord. And that miracle baby that was born six months before the miracle baby, the Christ child at uh, Christmas, um, Elizabeth and Zacharias, uh, the Lord blessed them with this miracle little baby. And children are wonderful at Christmas time. It's great to see the joy in, in, in a child's eyes and to see all of the things that they enjoy. And kids can say some cute things and sometimes can have some great wisdom and insight. I read about a mom who wanted her two-year-old to understand the real reason of the season for Christmas. And so she explained to her daughter Ellie that it was Jesus' birthday. And she told her it's Jesus' birthday. That's what we're celebrating. And so we're going to make cupcakes uh, for Jesus. And little Ellie looked at her mom, and and she asked her, she said, anticipatedly, as as a child can do, is Jesus coming over? And she believed it's Jesus' birthday. We're going to invite him over. But I think that's a good reminder for all of us to ask that question at Christmas time. Is Jesus coming over? Are we going to include him in our celebrations? And is he going to be a part of what we're doing? Is he invited into our plans to celebrate his birthday? And it's interesting to me how, how quickly we can push Jesus out of the celebration of his own birth. And when we spend time at his house and invite, invite others to do the same, telling others of his birth this month. And tonight, we look at a message this morning was Jesus came for the forgotten. Tonight is Jesus came for the children. Jesus came for the children. Look if, with me, if you will, in Luke in chapter number one. Most of you were here this morning. We saw all of the verses leading up to this this morning. So after, after uh, 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 Zechariah and, and Elizabeth find out that they're going to have this miracle child in their old age, verse number 26, six months pass between uh, those time, that the verse 25 and verse 26. There's a six-month um, uh, break or a six-month uh, time period in there. It says in verse 26, and in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God into a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Gabriel has a, he's had a busy few months. He's, he's getting sent from heaven down to earth to announce these miracle babies coming. Verse 27, to a virgin, espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. That's a fulfillment of prophecy. And the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Would you read verse 29 aloud with me? Luke 1, verse 29. Ready? Begin. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. Skip back to verse number 12, and let's read that aloud uh, again there. Let's read verse 12 aloud. Ready? Begin. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. You see a common—that's not the message, but do you see a common denominator here? God is working in amazing ways in their lives, and both of them, what does it do? It troubles them. And, and rightly so. 
If an angel showed up and said, I'm going to turn your world upside down, and I'm going to, I'm going to change your whole world, Zechariah and Elizabeth and, and Mary, your spouse to your, to your husband Joseph, and I'm going to change your whole world, they were fearful, both of them. And it's a good reminder that sometimes when God is at work, things can get a little bit out of our comfort zone, and our human response to that can be a little bit of being troubled, being, being a little fearful. God, what are you doing? How is this all going to work out? Both of them kind of had that question. Uh, 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 Zechariah, he said to him, like, can you tell me how this is going to work? Because I, I don't think science is going to allow this with my age. I don't think it's going to work. And Mary says the same thing. God, I don't understand how, how what you're telling me, how your word could come to fruition. And she says, and she was troubled, and she cast in her mind what manner of salutation. In verse 30, the angel said, notice this, the angel said unto her, what are those two words in verse 30? Fear not. What did the angel say in verse 13? Fear not. When God is working, and, and when you're following him, and there's some uncertain things, fear not. We could, we could preach a whole message on that. Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name... Jesus. He shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, how shall this be? Again, can you explain how God's plan could possibly happen, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, here it is, Mary finds out some news she didn't know about. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. And Mary said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. I wrote next to that verse, she said yes. He, she says, I don't understand it. It's scary, but be it, according, be it to thy handmaid according to thy word. I surrender my life. God, you have my life, and whatever you want to do, I surrender. You can work in and through me and whatever, whatever that looks like. And by the way, when Mary surrendered, she didn't know what that would mean for her future marriage. Joseph has a good mind to put her away privately. She doesn't know what that's going to look like. She doesn't know what saying yes to God was going to mean for her future. But Mary just said yes. I'll do it. It's scary. I don't understand it. I don't know where it's going to lead. I don't know what it's going to mean for my marriage. I don't know what it's going to mean for my future family. She has no idea that it means she's going to stand there one day with tears streaming down her face, watching her little baby boy, her firstborn son, dying on the cross for your sins and for mine. Had no idea what saying yes to God would mean, but she just said yes. And so now we have, from this morning and tonight, we have two moms unexpectedly, one really old and one really young. Two moms unexpectedly carrying, carrying miracle babies in their wombs. And we see here in verse number 39, Mary didn't know that her cousin Elizabeth, really her, her uh, that would be her great aunt, I believe, uh, Elizabeth, didn't know. They didn't have Facebook in those days. She hadn't seen the birth announcements. They hadn't had a, reveal, a gender reveal party. Uh, she didn't get the, uh, the blue cupcakes or any of those things. She didn't know that, that Elizabeth was in her sixth month. And so now look what happens in verse 39. And Mary arose in those days and 
went into the hill country with haste into a city of Judah and entered into the house of Zacharias and saluted Elizabeth. She goes as fast as she can. There's somebody else that knows what I'm going through, and there's somebody else that God is working in amazing ways. In verse 40, she goes in in verse 41. Would you read verse 41 aloud with me? Ready? Begin. And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. And she spake out with a loud voice and said, Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. What assurance that had to be for Mary. Because I have to imagine, humanly speaking, all Mary is thinking is, no one's going to believe me. How is everybody going to look at me? They're going to look at me as damaged goods, as some, as some dirty woman. They're, 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 and, and again, in society, Joseph thought about maybe I should put her away, and, and that would have been kind of a life sentence of, of obscurity and condemnation for Mary. And, 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 and as far as we can tell from the account in Luke in chapter 1, now we know from Matthew that she and Joseph had some conversations, but outside of Joseph, we don't know if Mary had shared this with anyone else, but she makes haste and she goes to Elizabeth, and as soon as she walks in and comes in, and Elizabeth tells her, God is working. You are, you're blessed among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Verse 43, and whence is this to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For lo, as soon as the voice of thy salutation sounded in mine ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy, and blessed is she that believed, for there shall be a performance of those things which were told her for the Lord. There's so many good thoughts and truths in this passage. Blessed is she which believed. May I just stop and say, when you'll stop, take your hands off of your life and say, God, I fully trust you. I give you everything. There are great blessings that come from that life of surrender. But I want to bring a—and it doesn't need to be a long message tonight. I told my wife, I kind of surprised myself. I told you we had four takeaways this morning. I think those took all of nine minutes. It's like a—it was a Christmas miracle. And I was done at like 11.05. I don't know why. When I get out of a verse-by-verse study in a book, sometimes my messages get a little shorter. And you can thank the Lord for that, I guess. I don't think I need to be long tonight. But I want to give us a few thoughts and a little different angle as we look at the fact that for whatever reason— God chose to fulfill his salvation plan for the world through two unborn babies. He could have sent them in any way that he wanted to. He could have done anything that he wanted to. But he chose to use the miraculous birth of John the Baptist uh, to be the, and to grow up, to become the forerunner of, of the, the miraculous child, Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, to, to go and, 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 and tell the world that Christ was coming and, and I believe it's a, a unique Christmas message, but an important one. And, and a few of the points, at least the first point of this message, it's interesting that the Lord had us here, and I was already going this direction in light of some of our Supreme Court's activities this week. And again, not an entire message on, on abortion or on life and those things, but, but a good reminder here. The first thought, I'm going to give us three thoughts from this idea of this miraculous baby, John the Baptist, that would be the forerunner for the miraculous baby, Jesus Christ. Number one— I want us to remember as the church, Jesus loves the unborn children. The Christmas story reminds us that Jesus loves the unborn children. Before the Bible says, I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. 
And, and in the society in which we're in, in a, in a country that has murdered more than 50 million unborn babies, it is easy to hear the constant drumbeat of, well, it's a woman's choice, and well, it's this, and you've never carried a baby, so you don't get to have an opinion on that, and, and these things, and well, it's, it's what about in this situation, and what about in that situation, and what about this, and, and for women's health, and all of those things, and it's easy to start to hear those things, and even as Christians, we can start to lose our stand for truth, but at the Christmas story here with John the Baptist and with Christ himself, it's a good reminder that Jesus, the Bible says we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And, and this is what Pastor Sammy was telling me in Psalm, I think, 139, you said, where the Bible talks about that he knew our substance, meaning just the, the things that make up a baby. He said in the Spanish Bible, it's literally the word, what we call embryo. It's literally that there's no, that, that embryo, you're fearfully and wonderfully made. What our society wants to call a clump of cells, God said that is an eternal soul that is there. That is a human life. That is a gift from God, not just something that we can decide, do I want that in my life or not? And as Christians, we can't allow the continual onslaught of the media and the loud voices of popular culture to chip away at our beliefs and our convictions that are clearly taught in Scripture. Christians ought to always stand for life. I mentioned this in passing this morning. It's not just a Sunday night message. This is a Christian message. I was at one of the largest churches uh, in, in the country, one of the largest churches in our state, and I was talking to the pastor's executive assistant and a sweet Christian lady and the pastor, I believe, a godly, humble man, and he had just come to that church. And she said, it was right when New York did that, that late-term abortion, they passed that thing. And she said, she said, I was so glad, and she named him Pastor So-and-so. In his Sunday morning prayer, he stood up and he prayed something about life. And she said it in light of, as the new pastor, I'm not sure that the previous pastor would have done that. And I was so glad that he was willing to pray in support of life. And, and that like it was a surprise to her that that would be said from the pulpit of a megachurch. And I'm not criticizing megachurches, and I'm not criticizing megachurch pastors. There are God wonderful, humble men that God is using, and people are getting saved in those churches. But it ought not, not, ought not to be that we're so worried about gathering everyone that we can't stand for clear truth that is found in Scripture, that we shy away from these important issues. The Christmas story is a great reminder of the value of an unborn child. For abortion proponents, if there was ever an unwanted pregnancy where abortion would be justified, it would have been Mary's. Think if that happened today. What would her parents and grandparents, her friends, her peers told her? What? You're expecting? That's going to change your life. That's, you're not ready for that. You're not even married yet. Joseph's probably not going to marry you after that. You're going to be stuck with that. You'll probably be a single mom. You need to go take care. If there was ever a, a, a pregnancy that would have been one that would have been unwanted, it would have been Mary. Can you imagine a young virgin getting ready to get married to the love of her life who, who was, who, who, and her plans were completely and unexpectedly interrupted and turned upside down by this unexpected baby? And again, we often hear the idea that an unborn child is just a fetus. We, we use these terms to somehow lessen the impact of the heinous treatment of these most precious and most vulnerable children. We call them fetuses in the womb, but then we call them children outside of the womb. What do we see here? Look at verse—I want you to see it from Scripture. Look at verse 41. Verse number 41. And it came to pass, when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the what leaped in her womb, church? The what? The babe leaps in her womb. Look at verse 44. 
says, For lo, as soon as the voice of thy salutation sounded in mine ears, the what leaped in my womb? What, what, did, what does the Bible say? What word does it use that Mary wrapped? You'll, in, you're going to find what lying in a manger that Mary wrapped in swaddling clothes? What was it? You'll find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes. God makes no distinction between a baby inside the womb and outside the womb. The exact same word. It's a babe in the womb and it's a babe outside the womb. It's a baby there. And, and I just want us to say again, for all of us a reminder, I, and, and I know I'm probably preaching to the choir, but also for our children who are being brought up and, and being taught these things that go against scriptural uh, principles. It was a baby in the womb and it was the exact same thing in the manger. There is no such thing as an unborn child being just a clump of cells in, until some, some arbitrary date or month along the gestation period. Period. The, the term fetus, just a term that salves our conscience, that we are consenting to the death of a God-given eternal soul in the form of, a, of an unborn baby. There is nothing scientifically, biblically, spiritually, there is nothing magical that happens in the birthing process that changes it from some valueless clump of cells into a valuable child. Nothing magical happens in the birthing process that one moment they're just a fetus and the next moment they're a child that deserves to be loved and cherished and protected. And as Christians, we've got to be reminded of that. Don't buy into the lies of a society, of a culture that, that well, it's our choice to do whatever we want with the life of another human being created in God's image. By the way, that when, when you start to make those things, you can look in certain countries and things like euthanasia, well, it's our decision when people get to a certain age age or when they get to a certain, and, and that's where that mentality goes. We get to begin deciding who lives and who dies. That, that, it is not our time. It is appointed unto man once to die, and it's God that numbers those days. We don't get to decide. I don't get to decide when any of you live or die, and you don't get to decide when I live or die. That's up to God. It doesn't matter the age. It doesn't matter the physical situation. That is up to the Lord. Jesus loves the unborn children. Think about this. In Scripture, and I know, again, I told you, I know this is a little bit of a different Christmas message, but in Scripture, who was the first, who was the first human to recognize, outside of Mary, to recognize, according to Scripture, the Messiah had come? Another unborn child. John the Baptist leaped in the womb when Mary walked in. I don't understand all about that. I don't know how all that worked. All I know is when Mary came in and Elizabeth was standing there, Elizabeth said, I know you've got something special in you because when you walked in, my little baby leaped in the womb. And I, again, I don't, I didn't put it in there. God put it in there, but God chose to allow an unborn child uh, to be the first to recognize Christ as an unborn child. Jesus chose to come as an unborn child. Jesus loves the unborn children. In 1987, a missionary wife named Pam, she contracted amoebic dysentery in the Philippines. The doctors gave her strong antibiotics. When it was discovered, they didn't know she was pregnant while they gave her these antibiotics. And had they known, they would have never given them to her because they were very dangerous to her health and the babies. When it was discovered that she was pregnant, the doctor stopped the drugs, but said that the high doses of medicine they had already given had already damaged what they called the fetus. Because they believed the baby would not survive, doctors recommended an abortion so that Pam's life would not be risked. Here's what she said. They thought I should have an abortion to save my life from the beginning when they found out I was pregnant all the way through the seventh month. 
The doctors kept telling, we've damaged the baby too much, and it may, uh, it may affect your health. You may not live through this pregnancy. You may not live as you try to deliver this baby. We need to abort this fetus, is the words they used. She refused the abortion she and her husband did because of their faith. She prayed that she and her husband would have a healthy son. They had a son who was born, and his name was Timothy. Some of you might know Timothy. He more goes by Tim. I think we have a picture of him here. His name is Tim Tebow. Tim Tebow was raised in a strong Christian home and has been known throughout his, his career uh, for a strong Christian testimony. Here's a picture during the 2009 championship game. Do you see what's, what's under his eye black there? The words John 3.16. It's said that on that night, the 2009 national championship game, that that verse was Googled some 94 million times. 94 million people took the time to go on Google and say, what does John 3.16 mean? Why? Because a college football quarterback who the doctor said you need to abort to save your life and he's not going to make it. And they said, you know, we don't understand how it's all going to work, but we're going to trust God. God. God loves us and God loves that child and whatever that means. They didn't know when they said yes to the life of Tim Tebow, they didn't know that he would be used to point uh, millions of people to at least find out something about Christ. God is big enough to use our pain, our surprises, and our unexpected difficulties to magnify his name. I don't care what experts or medical professionals say. What does God say Christmas here with the life of John the Baptist and the life of Jesus Christ? Christmas is a reminder that Jesus loves the unborn children. As we study the life of Christ as he would grow, you know what I'm also reminded about at Christmas with this unborn baby John and this unborn baby Jesus? As Jesus began to grow, I'm reminded that Jesus loves the little children. Not just the unborn children, but Jesus loves the little children. In fact, Pastor Kayla, we may be saying this somewhere in one of our classes this morning or they might be singing it in one of our classes tonight, Jesus loves the little children. Jesus had a, a great heart for the children. What happened one time? Kids were coming around Jesus, and they were surrounding him, and his disciples said, hey, he's important. He's busy. Get away from him. And Jesus said, guys, what are you doing? Suffer. Allow the little children to come unto me, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. I came as a child. I came for the children, and I love the children. Let him come. What did Jesus say another time as he was speaking? Jesus said, he said, verily, verily, I say unto you, except ye become convert, ye be converted and become as little children. Ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. I just want to stop and say as we look and we do celebrate the Christ child, the little babe in a manger. As we do that, a reminder that Jesus loves the little children. Parent, don't minimize the work you're doing in loving and serving your children. It's a ministry. My wife has a saying we've heard somewhere that she'll sometimes will say to each other, I'll hear her say to other young moms, and it's, it's that the, uh, the days are long, but the years are short. Sometimes when, the, when you're in the heart of parenting, it can be really exhausting. It can be tiring, and you can wonder, am I making any difference? Does my life matter? I'm stuck in this house all day with these kids, and do they appreciate anything? And I'm tired, I'm exhausted, and, 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 and a reminder, parents, it's a ministry to serve those eternal souls. And I know that sometimes it feels long, and sometimes lonely, and sometimes our kids break our hearts, but there is no greater calling than to love the eternal souls that God entrusts to our care. Don't see uh, loving children as some meager calling, while business success is some major calling. No, Jesus loves the little children. 
teachers, children's workers, parents, you're doing a vital, eternal work. As been said, the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. You're making an impact in, in the world and in eternity when you impact the life of a young child. And then lastly, don't get used to these shorter messages. Lastly, number three, our spiritual future relies on our children. Both of the unborn babies in this passage grew up to fulfill God's perfect will for their lives. John the Baptist as the forerunner of Christ, Jesus as the Savior of the world. Both of their lives ended in cruel deaths at the hands of ungodly men. That's not what I want for my children. I guarantee it's not what Elizabeth and Zechariah wanted for their, their son. It's not what Mary wanted for her baby boy. But both of their lives impacted the course of human history. And I understand none of us are raising the Messiah. Sometimes we might think the opposite. I'm not sure. None of us are raising the Messiah. I get that. But every child in our homes has a perfect plan from God for their lives. Here's what I want us to think in closing. Are we rearing them? Zechariah and Elizabeth raised that God-given child, that miracle child, to grow up to fulfill God's perfect plan for his life. Mary and Joseph raised that God-given miracle child to grow up to fulfill God's perfect plan for his life. I understand, and I know that I'm talking to some people whose children have broken their hearts. I understand that every one of our children have sin natures and they have free wills. None of us can force them to fulfill God's given plan for their lives. But what we can do is we can rear them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We can train up a child in the way that they should go. And here's my question. Are we seeking and on our faces and taking very seriously the God-given task to raise those miracle, every child is a miracle from God, those miracle children to grow, to fulfill God, the God, God's perfect plan for their lives? Or are we rearing them to know and find that plan, or are we just encouraging them to pursue their dreams? Follow your heart. Do what you think will make you happy. May I just say to all of us a reminder that, that life and this life is about more than making us happy. This life is about more than what makes me happy or what makes my life comfortable. This life is about more than, than our children finding happiness. It's about bringing Him glory. It's about fulfilling His plan for our lives. We are not our own, and our children are not our own. Before God ever blessed our home with Ashlyn, our firstborn, uh, my wife and I sat in a, in a class as a young couple in church, and I remember hearing the teacher probably just around early 30s himself saying something I had never given a thought to and he said if God blesses your home with children those are eternal souls that will live forever I never thought of it in that way those are there are many things that you and I do on a daily or weekly basis that will not impact eternity but those children will never die they'll spend eternity in heaven or eternity in hell and if God gives them life and strength they will spend their lives either pointing people to Jesus or doing nothing of eternal value and what a responsibility that you and I have Jesus came for the children and, and it's so much more than did my kids get good grades and I'm not against good grades did my childhood excel in athletics or in music or in this or in that. All of those things should be preparing them to live a life that is pleasing to the Lord Jesus Christ. How are we doing, parents? If children are eternal souls and they're a gift from God, why do we view them in our society as such an inconvenience? Well, they're going to mess up my career. Better get rid of that one. That was unexpected. I'm going to head down to the doctor, head down to Planned Parenthood. Well, I'm going to take that pill, make sure that that child can't grow. Why do we view them as such a burden? 
Well, sometimes we don't view them that way, but we only view them as kind of this fashion accessory, and they're just some cute little prop for our Instagram posts. No, they're far more than any of that. They're eternal souls that will live forever. Jesus came for the children. They're eternal souls that are entrusted to our care for just a short period of time, and we'll give an account for how we reared them, for how, how, how often we prayed with them for how we loved them, for how we disciplined them, for how we brought them to God's house or failed to bring them to God's house, how we, 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 we praised the Lord with our lives or we did not. We will give an account for the lives that our kids see in us. Parents, how are we doing? Is there any intentional training, spiritual intentional training happening in your home with those little children? And I get it, life gets busy and I've been convicted of this in my own life. We have five children now. And, and life gets busy, three older, and they're, they're off doing all kinds of things and sports and this and that. But I can remember when God gave us Ashland, that, man, it was, it was a priority. Every night we were doing those family devotions, and we were singing, and we were training. And I remember one time she was sitting in the back seat at about the age of 18 months, and I started counting. And uh, one, two, three, and I want to see how far she could go. And I don't remember where she went, but I thought, how did she even learn that? She went to like five. And I was like, how did she know two more numbers? I don't know how that happened. But whatever it was, it surprised me. And I remember thinking, kids can learn a whole lot more a whole lot earlier than we think they can. And, and my wife and I, we decided to make, and we still have them somewhere at home, we made up flashcards, Genesis, Exodus, all the way to Revelation. And, and around age 20 months or so, I know it was under two years because we made it a goal that by her second birthday, she would know her books of the Bible. And we started, and she couldn't even read, obviously, but we put different stickers on there that she could see, and we would say the first five, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. We have video of this cute little 22-month-old doing her Bible verses, and it wasn't 24 months, but I think it was 26 or 27. We were on a camping trip uh, with my brother-in-law and sister-in-law, and, and Ashlyn did it for the first time, and I told her, if you learn these, we'll buy you a dollhouse. And I remember that, and then the second one came, and I think by kindergarten, we let the kindergarten teacher teach him his books of the Bible. And uh, then our third one came, and and, and the last three, I don't even know if they have a Bible. I'm not sure. We didn't teach them anything about the books of the Bible. I understand that life changes a little bit. And sometimes you're, if you're like me, type A, you're a little OCD on that first kid. And, and you put a whole lot of good stuff in. And my daughter will tell you that we also were very disciplined her far too much. And we don't do anything for the younger ones. That's what they try to tell us. The older ones say we're soft now. And I just say the younger ones are better behaved than you were. That's the only difference. <laughs> I understand that life changes, and, and that wasn't a brag. We didn't, we didn't do that with any of our other kids. And, and we, that, that was something, you know, when you have one child and like your whole life revolves around that one. But what I'm saying is, don't let that slip, that intentional training, that intentional investment. Are you praying with them and for them? Are you teaching them and reading a Bible story? My wife every night will, will sing on Annalise's bed uh, and has done it with all five of our kids, a uh, hymn at night. You say, well, I wasn't trained in a Bible college. I don't know how to do all of that. Get a children's book and just read it with them or just stop and pray. You know how to talk to God and be an authentic Christian before them. Parents, if, if these are eternal souls, how are we doing in the training of these eternal souls? Church, how are we doing in the training of these children that Jesus came for? Children's ministry, how are we doing? Are we reaching children? Are we laying a foundation, planting seeds of the gospel, memorizing scripture, filling their hearts with those things? Christian school, how are we doing? Are we just an alternative to the public school? Just a good private school? Or are we truly teaching and multiplying disciples through the ministry of Newport Christian School? Youth ministry, how are we doing? 
Are we building on what the families and the children's ministry have done when they were younger? Do we have teenagers in our church that are on fire for God? And, and, and do we have teenagers who are surrendered and consecrated, holy teens who are different from the world? Teens who are excited to live right, to serve, to grow in their faith. I love to see a teenager singing for the Lord tonight, but, but would God multiply and, and not just have maybe in, in the years to come five or 10 or 20 or, or whatever it might be on a Sunday night in church, but multiplied teenagers that are growing to know and to love God and, and in, in, in the youth group learning those things or in our homes and in our children's ministry and in our Christian school and in our youth group, are we just entertaining them for 18 years, giving them what they want, letting the world educate them and shape their worldview, and then wondering why they stray and live sinful and selfish lives? Our spiritual future relies on them. The spiritual future of the world relied on these two babies, John the Baptist and Jesus. And may I say the spiritual future of the world, and I'm not trying to liken our kids to Jesus, but it relies, the spiritual future of the world relies on your children and mine and those that are growing up around the world. Are they coming to know Christ, to love him? Our spiritual future relies on them. A church without a thriving nursery, an effective children's program, and a spiritual youth group is only one generation away from dying. The same is true in a family. It is very possible if my children, if, I, if, if I've not invested in them enough and if they don't make a personal choice to follow God, it's very possible that I could have grandchildren or great-grandchildren who know nothing of Jesus Christ. They're going to have to decide. I don't get to force that. Our spiritual future relies the next generation on those children. The same is true for a nation. We must reach another generation. We must train another generation, and we must see another generation give their lives to reaching their generation and the next. That's God's plan for the perpetuation of the gospel message. My daily prayer for my children is that they would know him, and all of them have made a profession of faith and salvation, that they would know him, that they would love him, that they would grow to not just do Christian things because they live in a Christian home, but that they would become true, consecrated Christians that love God for themselves, that they would know him, they would love him, and they would live for him for a lifetime. I don't just want them to live for him while I have them in the Christian school, and while I have the leverage because they live in my home and eat my food and use my electricity and sleep in the bed that I purchased. Man, that's a lot of money. You guys owe me some money, all right? That's a lot of stuff. While I have that leverage that they live a Christian life because that's the, the price of admission to be in our home. No, I want them, my prayer is, my daily prayer is that they'll live for him for a lifetime. Amen. Not just when they're in the Christian school. Not just when they're in the youth group. Not just when dad forces that on them. And the story's not been written on my family. And for many of you, it's not been written on yours either. And, and at times, maybe some of our children will stray and then God will bring them back. And, and that's, again, there's, there's a sovereign God and there are children with sin natures and free wills. And, and there are sometimes in, in, in families where some of the children will grow to, to live for him for a lifetime and others will make other choices. I understand all of those things, but we can't, we can't control all of that, but we can control the prayer and the investment and the faithfulness that we show and us staying true even when things get hard and we, we prove that what we taught them when they were younger, we still believe it when we're older. John the Baptist, it's a reminder. Jesus came for the children. He came as a child. He loves the unborn children. He loves the little children. And for you and I, he wants us to reach another generation in our homes, 
in our children's ministry, in our Christian school, in our church, in our youth group. He wants us to reach another generation and not just entertain them for a few years. He wants us to raise up disciples that when we are dead and gone, we'll do the same for another generation. Let's pray for multi-generational Christians in our homes, in our families, and in our church. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.